0: Our second reading comes from 1 Corinthians, which is a slight misnomer. Paul established the church in Corinth some 10 years before the writing of this letter. He had sent them a letter that has been lost to time and history. And it is that letter to which the church responded with some edginess, you might say. And it is that response to which Paul responds in first corinthians it is a letter that addresses a number of issues that paul is disturbed to hear have arisen in that church so friends let us continue to listen now for a word from god reading from the 15th chapter of first corinthians beginning with the first verse that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And after that he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, And last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect." No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether that, whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. Friends, these two are the words of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today's sermon is titled, The Nine Pound Church. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, open to us a door this day that we might be led from whatever place it is when we entered this space to that deep well, that well of living water for the living of these days. Indeed, O oh God, we pray that through the work of your Spirit, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts might provide the path at our feet. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. A preacher one day looked out his window and was surprised to see there walking down the middle of his street a nine-pound sparrow. Not every day you see a nine-pound sparrow walking down your street. And so he did what I think any of us would do in that situation. He walked out his door across the yard and confronted that sparrow. Little heavy, aren't you? He said. And the sparrow said, yeah. But that's why I'm out walking. Trying to shed some of that weight. And the preacher said to him, well, why don't you just fly? And that sparrow looked up at the preacher as if he were the stupidest person in the whole world. And he said, fly? Well, I've never flown. I could get hurt. That's dangerous. And the preacher said to him, what's your name? And the bird said, church. Paul is writing to a nine-pound church. This is a church that is a mess. And to be fair, it's not all their fault. Like us, they are products of their time and of their place. You and me, we woke up this morning and drove by a few churches, perhaps two, three, four, maybe on our way to this church. But these are people who wake every day in this city and they walk down their street and down the main boulevard and they cross the public square and through the marketplace. And no matter where it is they go, they exist in the shadow of these gleaming temples and of these golden statues that have all been erected to other gods. I mean, these are people who are living in a world where very few control very much. The rich in the ancient world, they are really rich. And the poor are really poor. Some scholars think that just the fact that Paul succeeded at all in forming a church is pretty impressive. The fact that he was able to show up in a place like this at a time like that and form this group of followers, this diverse group of followers, rich and poor, Gentile and Jewish, and have them all coalesce around following this peasant teacher from this backwater corner of the Roman Empire, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. And yet still, the sheer number of issues that Paul feels the need to address in this letter to the Corinthian church is indicative, I think, of an underlying diagnosis that might best be described as fear of flying. I mean, the issues that he covers in this letter, if you go from the 1st to the 15th chapter, they range from partisanship that has arisen as different factions within the church ally themselves with different leaders, all the way to questions about divorce and marriage and sex and celibacy. There's chaos in worship, it seems, as people speak in tongues and speak with competing voices, all trying to be heard over one another. There's inequality at the table and in their fellowship, as those very rich often go home after communion very full and very drunk, and the very poor go home having been fed Nothing at all. But it seems that the most serious of all the infractions in Paul's mind is the one that he addresses here in the 15th chapter. News has reached Paul that a group of people from within the church are preaching and practicing a denial of the bodily resurrection. And again, they are products of their time and place. In the ancient Greek world, the body was understood to be this impure, this transitory vessel for what really mattered, which was the unseen, pure spirit within. So that when you died, the good news was not that you got to take your body with you, it was that this pure spirit was released. These group of people seated in that thought, they wondered aloud to others, why can't we just follow Jesus' teaching without talking about all this resurrection business? And Paul writes to them in this penultimate chapter. He writes more verses here to this issue than any of the other issues in the entire book he writes to them to say an unequivocal no. The gospel of Jesus Christ, he writes in these verses, is a sham if God is not raised from the dead. And to illustrate his point, he points out that the resurrection, it is a fulfillment of the promises of Scripture, but perhaps even more importantly, there are people, flesh and blood people, Those living as the Corinthians lived, who had encountered the resurrected Christ. People including Paul. Did you all catch that really interesting word that Paul uses to describe himself? He says that he is abnormally born. I don't often go back to the Greek, but It intrigued me, and what I found was that the word he uses for abnormal is the same word that is used to describe a baby born prematurely. And in this ancient world where only about half of full-term babies ever survived to the age of 10, to compare yourself to a premature baby was to illustrate just how weak and vulnerable You were just how close to death Paul was. I mean, he was as good as dead. And yet he met the resurrected Christ on a road to Damascus. And in that encounter, God chose him. And it changed his whole life. And yet still it seems that in this church there are those who struggled with that idea. Perhaps because it sounds a little dangerous. This resurrection business then and now it's something that can hurt you even. A nine pound church. I spent this past month in January having lunch in small groups with all the elders of our church, the 21 men and women who you all have elected to lead this congregation. The lunches served two purposes. One was entirely selfish on my part in that I got to eat at all my favorite lunch spots on the island and have an excuse to invite others to come and join me. But the other purpose for those lunches was to hear from our elders what they think the challenges facing our church are. What are the priorities that we as a church need to be focusing on in the year and in the years to come? And it was really interesting, those lunches, the seven of them, they all sort of followed a similar trajectory. We would sit down, and what I found is that the elders were really good at talking about all those things that are going so well in this church. And there are so many things. That we are a congregation that is more and more mission-minded, intent on being the feet and the hands of Jesus in our community and beyond. That we are a church with strong worship, with beautiful music. That we are a church with a growing and re-strengthening children and youth ministry. That we are a church that is generous in our giving, both of time but also of our resources. Now, we're a church that's welcoming new members. You know, there are many churches that, that dream of welcoming a new member every few years much less every few months or every few weeks. There's so much going well. But eventually the conversation would turn to some of the challenges that we are facing. Some of those places, you might say, where we are not yet flying. And it was interesting. One of the things that came up a few different times around those lunch tables was the topic of how we are doing at welcoming people. I shared with a few of those groups how nothing fills my heart more as a pastor than when people come up to me after worship or they join the church and you ask them why and they say because this was such a welcoming church. And yet, there have been in our stories That people have crossed parking lots to tell me. That people have written me notes to tell me. That people have asked to have lunch so they can share this feedback. People who say, you know, I came to your church two, three, four weeks in a row and not a single person said hello to me. Oh not a single person even asked my name you know it reminds me of a few years ago Roger Nishioka who was then a seminary professor now helps pastor one of the larger churches in our denomination in Kansas City Roger came to spend a weekend with us and when he was preaching from this pulpit, he shared about some of the research that he has done. He's a widely respected expert and theologian and thinker in the area of Christian evangelism and Christian education. And he told us that day how, you know, I've done these focus groups all around the country, even around the world, and I'll sit down with a group of people who are maybe new to a church or a group of people who are even new to the faith, and I'll ask them, what is the number one reason that you came back to your church? What is the number one reason? And it's interesting almost as much for what they don't say. They, they say it wasn't the preaching, it wasn't the choir, it wasn't the programs, it wasn't even the sanctuary and how it spoke to us. The number one reason people come back to a church for a second time, is that someone turned to them and asked them their name? He said, You know, then I'll go and I'll sit with these focus groups and, and these other groups of people who have been longtime members, you know, the established crew of a church. And I'll ask them that question, but slightly differently. I'll ask them, What is the number one reason you are hesitant? Or don't reach out and welcome a new face in your midst. And You know what they say? The number one reason that a member of a church or someone that is part of this community of faith doesn't welcome a new face is because they are scared. You know what they're scared of? They're scared they'll turn to that new face to them and introduce themselves and say, You know, are you visiting today? And they'll look at you and they'll say, I've been a member here for 20 years. (laughs) People are scared of being embarrassed, they're scared of getting burned, they're scared of getting hurt. And I swear I'm not making this up. After Roger shared that with us, from this pulpit, he looked out and almost verbatim, he said the same exact thing that Paul writes to the Corinthian church. He said, come on, people. Come on. Let me remind you of the gospel. The gospel that has resurrection at its heart. The story of a God who brings dead things back to life. The story of a God who chose Paul, abnormally born. Paul, persecutor of the church. Paul, person who, if anyone was not worthy of God's grace, it was him. God chose Paul to go out and preach the good news. story, the gospel of a God who even today comes to and chooses people like us to teach and preach and serve and heal and yes, even welcome. Let me remind you of the gospel Roger said so that you can be free. You can be free to fly. Because if that gospel, he continued, if that story is not enough to overcome your temporary hesitation of being embarrassed or burned or hurt, if it's not enough to compel you to turn to the stranger, to that new face, be it a 20-year member or a first-time visitor, if that story is not enough to compel you to turn to them, to someone who may be desperately in need of hearing the gospel that very day, and shame on you, he said. Shame on all of us. Hmm. Now, I imagine if you are a first time visitor or perhaps a new member to our church today, it might be slightly alarming <laughs> to think that the preacher is telling you that you have just walked into or, worse yet, joined a nine-pound church. (laughs) If I can take my humility hat off for a moment, I'll tell you that we're not a nine-pound church. In fact, we're not even all that messy of church. But neither are we a perfect church. We get our welcoming so right so much of the time. But when even one person does not encounter that resurrected christ in our smile in our handshake in our tell tell me your name then we've missed it i read this past week that at his father's funeral leif peterson spoke about his dad eugene the late theologian and pastor and writer and Presbyterian minister, much loved across this country and across this world, Leif told the congregation there at Eugene's funeral that long ago his dad had lit him in on a secret. The secret was that for 29 years of pastoral ministry, For 15-plus books that he had written, the secret Eugene told Leif was that he had really only ever preached one sermon. In all those sermons, in all those books, there was really just one message that he was trying to get across. It was a message that Leif said his dad had whispered into his heart for 50 years, words that his dad had snuck into his bedroom to say over him as he slept as a child. And the message Eugene preached and taught and wrote about for all those years was this. God loves you. God is on your side. God is coming after you. God is relentless. And so it is for us today. To an imperfect church, a family of faith that walks down the street sometimes when it's called to fly, to a world that is too often at war with itself, to people who are weighed down with fear. Paul leans in, To that church long ago and to this church today. And he speaks, saying to them, Let me remind you of the gospel. God loves you, God is for you, God is coming after you, God is relentless. Friends, may the truth of the gospel be the air under your wings. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.